Welcome back, aviators. Nathan Aller here with Nathan's Landing, a new online audio podcast where we will be discussing all things aviation. Tonight, we are going to begin part three of our seven-part series on the fundamentals of instruction. Tonight will be the teaching process, which is task C. And if you missed last week's podcast on the learning process, you can find it on Spotify by searching Nathan's Landing. Tonight's lesson is all about what will make us incredible educators. Tonight, we will be discussing task C, the teaching process. Teaching is simply to instruct or train. But to become a teacher, they complete some sort of formal training and they have specialized knowledge and They've been certified and validated in some way or another. Teachers adhere to a set of principles and performance. So what makes a good instructor? What makes a good teacher? Well, a good instructor selects and organizes purposeful material. They lead students to encode and to integrate this material in a memorable form so that they ensure competence in the methods of a specific discipline. A good teacher will sustain intellectual curiosity and they will promote how to learn independently. Tonight's lesson will help you learn how to organize material you wish to teach in a manner that a student can understand and value. The teaching process generally follows four steps, and that's preparation, presentation, application, and assessment. Our objective tonight is for all of you to be able to understand and define preparation of a lesson, organization of material. Training and delivery methods, which include the lecture method, the guided discussion method, computer-assisted learning method, demonstration and performance method, and drill and practice method. We will also understand problem-based learning, and finally, we'll wrap up tonight by discussing instructional aids and training technologies. So please follow along in the instructor's handbook in the current Flight Instructors PTS as we discuss Task C, the teaching process. So let's set cruise power and get right to it. As I was preparing for tonight's lesson, I sat back and I thought about all the wonderful educators in my life. And while I was preparing for tonight's material, It occurred to me that they all possess the same amazing values and qualities as great instructors. To be a great instructor, you must have four essential teaching skills. Those are people skills, assessment skills, management skills, and you got to be what's called a subject matter expert. People skills is vital 
to be a great instructor. Instructors need to be able to relate well to people and they must effectively display uh, enthusiasm for the subject matter and express themselves clearly. An instructor who lacks people skills or fails to communicate effectively is useless no matter how much technical knowledge um, they might have. Uh, simply, if an instructor isn't liked, a student will not be open to learn from them. Next up is, uh, again, assessment skills. And if you remember from last week's podcast on the learning process, we learned that learning was defined as a change in behavior as a result of an experience. Remember that behavior can be physical, it can be overt, or it can be intellectual or attitudinal. This change is measurable and therefore it can be assessed. Assess assessment of learning is vital and it is important to be clear about the purpose of the assessment. A great instructor possesses and has the ability to effectively assess their students and they can do it several different points uh, throughout a lesson. Next up is management skills. A great instructor has the ability to plan and organize. They lead by example and they supervise. Uh, this translates into the ability to plan and organize uh, a lesson plan. Uh, a well-balanced uh, planned lesson means that an instructor is also using his or her time management skills. And by being well-organized, a great instructor can minimize stress on all persons involved in the learning, and they also can reduce stress by not planning too much material for the allotted time of instruction. And finally, a subject matter expert, also known as a SME, is another great quality of an instructor. Um, they are an expert on a particular subject. They possess a high level of expertise, knowledge, or skill of a particular area. Uh, when I was a paramedic, I might have been known as a SME. Uh, definitely in the area of cardiology. Uh, I mastered that skill of interpreting EKGs and I became really proficient. And I also would be brought in or questioned or asked by other paramedics who had uh, particular questions on an EKG strip. Uh, that's what I was. I was a SME when it came to cardiology. So furthermore, instructors or aviation educators, there are also so-called codes of ethics. Later, we will be discussing instructor responsibilities and professionalism, but a few things that I want to point out. You know, a good instructor really makes safety number one. They also develop and exercise good judgment in making decisions, and they recognize and manage uh, risk effectively. They're accountable for their actions, and they adhere to operating principles and personal uh, operating parameters. And finally, they adhere to applicable laws and regulations. And as an instructor, we should be seeking out uh, students who seek proficiency in controlling the aircraft. Uh, they use the flight deck technology in a safe and appropriate way. Um, and we also should be looking for students that are confident in a wide variety of uh, flight situations and that they are highly respectful uh, of the privilege of flight. 
If y'all turn to your PTS um, task C, number one is preparation of a lesson. When we prepare for a lesson, we must determine first the objective and the standards. In aviation training, there are generally two types of objectives, and those are performance-based and decision-based objectives. Performance-based objectives really help define exactly what needs need to be done and how it's to be done during each period of uh, instruction. There are several components uh, to performance-based objectives, and these three elements are description of the skill or behavior, the conditions, and the criteria. The description of the skill and behavior really just explains the desired outcome of the period of instruction. The conditions, or excuse me, the conditions explain the rules uh, for demonstration of a skill. And the criteria are the standards that are measured and the accomplishments of that objective. As a, as a student progresses and develops better levels of performance and understanding, we as instructors should really turn our teaching focus to decision-based objectives. And decision-based objectives rely more on the dynamic training environment and they're suited for more scenario-based training. And at this point, we really begin to start focusing on those critical thinking skills, such as risk management and aeronautical decision-making. As we discussed in task B last week of the learning process, training objectives apply to all three domains of learning. You know, in those domains, as we spoke to spoke of last week, were cognitive, affective, and psychomotor. We should definitely incorporate all levels of learning into these uh, learning ob objectives and apply to one or more of these three domains during learning. Remember that each domain includes several educational and skill levels that we as instructors should really adapt in our training objectives um, to a certain level of knowledge. Remember, our training objectives really need to be clear. We have to have standards as well. Standards are closely tied to our objectives, and a student performs according to a well-defined standard, then there is a direct evidence of learning, right? So if a student um, is taught a skill and he adheres to the standard, well, then there is direct evidence that he learned something. Standards should be comprehensive and they have desired outcomes or behaviors. Standards typically can be found in like the ACS or the PTS or maybe like an oral or practice test. Remember that not all uh, certification tests represent the entire training syllabus that we as instructors would give out. So sometimes we need to maybe formulate our own standards uh, for a particular lesson that we teach. So we are moving much quicker tonight than last week. We're already on number two, organization of material. After we determine the objective and the standards, we need to formulate a plan of action to lead our students through a course of logical manner and have a desired goal. For us, our goal is generally that our students will end up getting their rating or certificate, but in all cases, we need to use a systematic plan of action and we need to use a training syllabus, which contains a description of each lesson and objective and completion standards. 
So in the organization of a lesson plan really uses introduction, development, and a conclusion. So the lesson introduction comprises of three parts, and those are attention, motivation, and overview. The attention really is the purpose of the element that we're trying to gain uh, the learner's attention, right? We can do this by telling a story or maybe opening up with a joke, uh, showing a video clip, or maybe just simply opening up with a question, right? This is kind of like where we go and we break the ice. The motivation, right? This is why the information we're going to be teaching is important, right? This is where we need to understand and apply our material. Why we're learning stalls. Well, we're learning stalls so that when we come into land, we can stall a foot above and make a nice easy landing, right? That's our motivation. And then next is overview. And overview is really what tells the group what's going to be covered, right? That's kind of the meat and potatoes of our syllabus or lesson plan. And moving on, the next portion is the development. And the development is really the main part of the lesson. This is where we're going to develop the subject matter. And we can do this in several ways. We can do this from past to present, simple to complex, known to unknown, or most used to least used. And speaking about past to present, it, we usually arrange things in like a chronological form um, this is really good about talking about time relationships, you know, when it's suitable to history um, or it's important to consider history. Maybe an example is, is if like we're talking about uh, radio navigation, well, we may want to go from how it was done back in the 1940s to how it's done currently today. So when we develop our lesson plan, we can use this as past to present. Next, we can use simple to complex, and this generally just leads from simple facts ideas to really understanding um, more in-depth concepts. Uh, a great example would be if I began teaching you releasing air from a balloon, right? And as we progress into the teaching level, then I might be talking about jet propulsion and finally finishing up with like combat, complex gas turbine engines. So we start really simple, a real simple idea, and we build on it, and then we get more complex and more complex until we get to the, the matter that we're really wanting to speak. Next up is known to unknown. Uh, this is really just to lead new ideas and concept. Um, it, it's just an example of like maybe developing a lesson on heading indicators. And an instructor starts with a discussion about magnetic compass before they actually get into uh, the actual gyroscopic indicator, right? We're just going to kind of talk on the lower end of things and then build into it. Kind of similar to simple and complex. Next is uh, most used to least used. And again, a great example would be starting with basic instruments. Um, that we commonly use and then we would progress to ones that maybe we don't really use uh, a whole lot anymore like a perfect example would be like an adf right i might be starting talking about airspeed indicator or attitude indicator 
Um, and then at some point in our lecture, I'd get to an ADF, right? We don't really use it, so it might be used last. And then finally, the last part is the conclusion. And the conclusion really just retraces the important elements of a lesson related to the objective. And it really reinforces the learning and improves retention. Remember, new ideas should not be added uh, at this point to the conclusion because it can also confuse the learner. We are already on number three, training delivery methods. As an instructor, we have several tools in our toolbox to be able to convey our information to our learners. And these methods comprise of the lecture method, the guided discussion method, computer assisted learning method, demonstration performance method, and drill and practice method. The lecture method delivers knowledge via lectures to students who are more or less a silent participant. These are best used when an instructor wishes to convey a general understanding of a subject or may be useful to introduce new subject materials, summarize ideas, show relationships between theory and practice, or to reemphasize main points. We can also deliver these in small groups or large, large groups, and they can be combined with other teaching methods to give added meaning and direction. Underneath the lecture method, there are other variants, and those can be illustrated talk, briefing, and a formal lecture. An illustrated talk is when a speaker just relies heavily on visual aids. Uh, this is kind of death by PowerPoint. A briefing is really where a speaker presents a concise array of facts to a listener who's not really expected to elaborate. And a formal lecture is where a speaker points out to inform, persuade, or to entertain with little or no verbal participation, right? The formal lecture is what you would see in normal speech. You know, if you watch the State of the Union address, well, that's a formal lecture. What is favored the most by aviation instructors is what's called the teaching lecture. And the teaching lecture allows some activity uh, by students. Remembering that when we prepare the teaching lecture, you must establish the objective and desired outcomes. You must research the subject and organize the material and plan productive classroom activities. When creating a lecture, the Use of simple language is much better than complex words. And we also want to use proper English and we don't want to curse or swear, right? We don't want to use, we don't want to have a potty mouth. How about that? So in a teaching lecture allows an instructor to speak from mental or written outline, but not read or memorize the material. This lecture, lecture is more personalized. Now, there are some advantage, and some of the advantages are that we can instruct large groups. And again, as we spoke earlier, it can present many ideas in a short period of time. And if it's well organized, these can be presented uh, concisely in a rapid sequence. However, there are some disadvantages to the teaching lecture, and they could include that they don't allow us to measure an understanding of our audience, right? And they also might foster some negative 
traits to where like we can't assess a student's motor skills or hands-on practice, right? There are often instructors should, often instructors should combine uh, other types of teaching methods uh, when they use the teaching lecture. And when they do that, it gives added meaning and direction. Next up is the guided discussion method. And the goal of the guided discussion method is to draw out the knowledge of a student. You know, we want to find out what the student knows. The greater the participation of a class or a group, the more effective learning will be. We as instructors should uh, treat everyone impartially and encourage questions. During the guided discussion method, an instructor really acts as a facilitator to encourage discussion between students. Often instructors should really just start off with like a lead off question, uh, use open ended ideas and it really encourage follow up questions. Our job is to guide the discussion. Remember, questions need to apply to the subject of the instruction and they should be clear and brief and definite. Questions should only center around one idea and present challenges to the students. Next up, we're talking about computer assisted learning method. This method really allows students to use a personal computer or multimedia software to create their own training device. You know, a major advantage of computer assisted learning is that it allows students to progress at a rate that's tailored to them. And they can do this training on their own time. For aviation training computer learning, it is a very valuable aid. Another advantage is that it's interactive and the computer responds in different ways depending on the input of the student. As instructors, we should really actively be involved with this and support them by using close supervision, asking questions, using it with examinations or quizzes, or we can add these to guided discussions on the subject matter uh, that we're trying to teach. Another great product of uh, computer-assisted learning is the use of simulators and role-playing. As for myself, I used Microsoft Flight Simulator or X-Plane when I was in my instrument rating, and it helped tremendously. It was a great, great uh, tool that I had. And I encourage all of you, if you don't have a uh, simulator, you should probably get one. I think they're worth it. And what's great about simulator training is that it really gives you a sense of the real world scenarios. You can put yourselves in um, you know, low visibility or you can put yourself in mountainous uh, terrain. You know, let's say if you were wanting to learn what uh, the effects of density altitude is on your 172, well, you can put yourself in Telluride, Colorado at a 90 degree day and you can set your aircraft at max gross weight. And these simulators are pretty realistic and you'll get the same kind of performance. Um, the great thing is, is that you won't get the negative side effects of a crash. So next up is demonstrated performance method. And this method is excellent to use to master mental or physical skill that require practice, right? 
Demonstrated performance method is really based on the principle that people learn by doing. This method really allows students to observe the skill and they try to re reproduce it. And this demonstration performance is broken down into five phases and those phases are explanation, demonstration, learner performance, instructor supervision, and evaluation. The first phase is explanation phase. And this is where the objectives of a particular lessons need to be really clear and presented based on known experiences and knowledge of the student. As an instructor, we need to convey to the student the precise actions that they are to perform, right? In addition to those steps, it's necessary that we as instructors also describe the end result of, their, of these efforts. Uh, before moving on, the instructor really should encourage the student to ask questions about any steps in this procedure that they don't understand. Next up is the demonstration phase. Now, this is really where the instructor will show his students the necessary actions to perform a skill, right? So this is where we would actually go through a skill and, and demonstrate this for our student. And finally, let's see, let's see, learner performance in instruction supervision phase. Remember that it's important as instructors for us to give them enough time and to, to do this meaningful activity, right? Through doing, a student will learn to follow correct procedures and to teach those, not only give them time to do these procedures, it will also be able to reinforce established standards, as I guess is what I'm trying to say. So it's so important that our students really are allowed opportunity to perform these skills as soon as possible after we demonstrate them. So when we go up and let's say we're just trying to do steep turns or if we're doing commercial levels, we're doing uh, chandelles. Once we demonstrate the skill, we need to make sure that our students are doing the skill right behind us. All right, in flight instructor, it is okay to allow your students to follow along on the controls during the demonstration of a maneuver. However, immediately after, remember, it's important that we should allow our students to attempt and perform the maneuver. And we should also coach if necessary during this time. Next up is the evaluation phase. In this phase is when the instructor will really just judge the student's performer performance. Remember that to test a student's ability, an instructor really requires a student to work independently through this phase. And we need to make some sort of uh, comment about their performance and we need to measure their skill against a standard. And next up is drill and practice method. And Remember, we discussed the laws of learning back in task B, and remember Thorndock's law of exercise. Remember that connections are strengthened with process. So every time we practice, our learning continues, and the use of effective drill and practice revolves around this theory. And as instructors, this provides opportunity for students to practice while directing them towards an objective. Up next, number four, problem-based learning. Problem-based learning is learning where lessons involve learners with problems to be encountered in the real world. And we ask them to find real-world solutions. 
The goal of problem-based learning, again, is to move the instructor-centered approach to a learner-centered approach. Problem-based learning encourages the development of higher order of thinking skills, which if you remember work on the cognitive process such as problem solving and decision making ability. The use of cognitive skills of analysis and synthesis and evaluation are an integral part of this. As an instructor, developing good problem problems should motivate, focus, and initiate learning. An effective problem should include real-world material so that students want to solve them. It should also require that students to make decisions, and these decisions should be open-ended and not limited to one correct answer. They should also reflect the lesson objectives and should challenge students to think critically. As we spoke earlier, HOTS, or higher order of thinking skills, teach the cognitive skills needed to make decisions and judgments effectively. As a good instructor, we should incorporate analysis, synthesis, and evaluation into our lessons by using problem-based learning. Higher order of thinking skills should be taught through the curriculum from simple to complex and concrete to abstract. Now, there are several types of problem-based instruction, and those are to conclude scenario-based method, collaborative problem-solving method, and case study method. Now, scenario-based method uses structured script of real-world experiences to address training and objectives. These scenarios require Polly to manage all available resources and exercise uh, sound judgment in making timely decisions. These scenarios may uh, not have one right or wrong, one right, uh, wrong answer, but remember that these aren't tests, okay? Um, these are just to invoke their critical thinking ability. And scenario-based training should also promote um, situational awareness and be without errors. And finally, we need to give them an opportunity for, de for decision-making time. Next up is collaborative problem-solving method. This is where an instructor pro provides a problem to a group and asks them to solve it. The instructor here, it really just provides assistance when needed, but really understands that the learning, uh, to, the learning or the issue is really to be solved uh, amongst the group, right? And we use a lot of what if questions here, all right? And we encourage students and opportunity to develop higher order of thinking skills. And finally, we have case study method. And this is when we uh, pull a relative story to our block of instruction. Uh, and this forces the student to really deal with the situations that are encountered in real life. Now, my favorite is pulling NTSB accident investigations because they provide an excellent source of real-world case studies for the student. Mm -hmm. Welcome back, aviators. Number five, instruction aids and training technologies. We have covered a lot of material tonight, and we are almost through. But tonight, let's talk about instructional aids and training technologies. These are devices that ins assist an instructor in the teaching and learning process.
Instructional aids support supplemental and reinforce what is being taught and are not necessarily uh, self-supporting by themselves. Some examples could be printed text, videos, interactive computer programs, flight training devices or simulators. And there are numerous types of training devices at, at, that an instructor can actually use to help facilitate a lesson being taught. As a good instructor, it's vital that we know how to use and implement these training aids. And we need to understand or have a general agreement about certain factors that seem pertinent to understanding the use of these instructional aids. And some of these may include uh, that we might need to select charts, graphs, pictures, or other visual aids to help students understand, uh, as well as retain essential information. Next up, we should uh, ideally find instructional aids that should cover the key points and concepts of what we're trying to teach. Uh, and these should really cover and be straightforward and factual so that they're easy to interpret and students can remember and recall. And finally, instructional aids should be relatively simple. And remember, what's simple generally works best. So now that we have several reasons to use instructional aids, if used properly, they really can help gain and hold the attention of students. Remember, it's our major goal as instructors to provide instruction so the students can retain as much knowledge as possible, especially the key points. So good instructional aids also help reduce language barriers. Uh, they should always provide accurate visual image of what the learner uh, needs to learn. It makes learning a lot easier. But sometimes instructors are asked to teach more and more uh, in shorter time frames. And what these instructional aids do is that they can really help shorten a lesson block. And a great example of this is instead of using uh, words to describe a sound or an object or a function, if an instructor just plays a recording of that sound or shows a picture or has an object, uh, in question, the student immediately gains knowledge and this saves time in the process. So there's only a couple more things that we need to speak of tonight, but before we go, I want to wrap up by telling you a good instructor will abide by certain guidelines um, for use of instructional aids. And again, these are just clearly established lesson objectives. You know, gather necessary data, research, and supported material before the beginning of your instruction period. Make sure that we organize the material into an outline or a lesson plan, which should really include the key points that are needed to cover um, the lesson, especially safety considerations. I cannot stress that enough. Safety considerations should be part of every lesson as an instructor. And finally, the ideas to be supported with instructional aid should be concentrated on the key points. So in closing tonight, as an inspiring instructor, there are several aids we can use such as marker boards, um, supplements or printed material. We can enhance training materials such as using uh, an aircraft pilot operating handbook or a maneuvers guide or some sort of handbook. 
And we can also use video or computer-assisted learning uh, devices, uh, as mentioned earlier. And these all really apply to the last task in TASCI, which is the Instructional Aids and Training Technologies. So before we go tonight, I want you guys to take a time, take time, and review the instructor handbook on TASC. And I want you guys to really get a good understanding. And from this point forward, we need to start building lesson plans for periods of instruction. And we need to start using uh, some of these uh you know, delivery methods that we've learned tonight, such as the lecture method, the guided discussion method, the computer-assisted learning method, the demonstrated performance method, and drill and practice method. So I really do want to thank you all for joining me tonight while we cover Task C, the teaching process. You know, understanding the teaching process really organizes material for instructors to teach in a way that really helps learners understand uh, what's being taught. And by having a well-prepared and effective instructor period, uh, these lesson materials are, are periodically uh, useful in assessing a learner. So again, I want to thank you all for joining me tonight here on Nathan's Landing. I am Nathan Aller, and have a wonderful night.